word is meant to be sufficient for us to live a life of faith and godliness and that wisdom, right, wisdom is necessary to discern how to practice our faith in any given situation, which I confess has left me feeling frustrated at times because like everyone else, I want more direct answers to these life questions sometimes. I wish God could be more direct, you know? Uh, I wish he could answer this question more directly, for instance. Lord, who can I really trust these days? You know, I want names. <laughs> Lord, give me names so I know exactly who I can trust. You know, really, it's, it's like after witnessing how corrupt and deceitful government can be and how deceitful media can be and how deceitful pharmaceutical and scientific communities can be, just to name a few crooked players in our day, who are we supposed to trust exactly is, is a serious question I have. It's hard to even discern which Christian leaders can be trusted nowadays as well, isn't it? Given how difficult it's become to get a straight answer from anyone, it's hard to know who to trust. This is truly a crisis of trust, right? There, there's a, a crisis of trust at every level of our society right now, and this is no small problem. When people have such difficulty trusting their own spiritual leaders, that's when we know we have entered into some very dark times. So I wanted to at least make one thing clear about pastors, since I know that this is a question that's been on your minds lately, at least a good number of you. You know, when you see a pastor who is hesitant to speak clearly on an issue that demands moral clarity, or maybe over the course of the past few years, you notice that certain pastors just don't have the ability to rightly identify the wolves that are a real threat to the sheep. Right? He keeps on saying, watch out for A, B, and C, when in fact the real threat's coming over here from X, Y, and Z. If you see someone like that, it doesn't necessarily mean that this brother is not a Christian whom you should break fellowship with. Okay? But it does mean that this person is probably someone who needs to rethink whether ministry, whether the pastorate is the right role for them. Because he has shown that he doesn't have the ability to protect and watch over the sheep as he ought to. So, look, given how confusing times have been for all of us, I, I do think, really, we need to extend some extra measure of grace to everyone, pastors including, but, see, we still ought to expect our leaders to be able to have greater discernment compared to the rest of the flock. And if certain leaders have a clear track record of failing to exhibit wise discernment, then it's only wise to look upon them with some suspicion, wouldn't you think? That's why some of you left your previous churches and they're visiting new churches. And it's good that you're at least visiting new churches because sadly, many people have stopped attending church altogether. And no doubt God will hold them responsible for their own spiritual negligence. But I'm telling you that pastors everywhere, including myself, 
will also be held accountable for how we have led the church, especially during these past three years. So that's one thought that has been burdening my heart lately. And I share this burden with all of you because I think it's best if you knew what's been on my mind and heart. Um, it's my first Sunday back from a, a long break, and so I wanted to make sure we first did a little heart-to-heart before we jump into the passage, okay? So with that, uh, let's look at our passage together. Uh, today's message comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 11, and I titled the message today, The Hardships of Life and the Call to Endure. Okay, the hardships of life and the call to endure. And I promise to you that next Sunday we will resume our series in the book of Acts. I know we, we took a long break from it, but it's, I've been really wrestling with how to continue that series, to be honest. It's not easy, uh, but we will continue on with that. We'll resume next Sunday. Okay, but today, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 11, this is God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, and it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen? Amen. The letter to the Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians, right? These people were called the Hebrews, right? And, and this letter was necessary because these Jewish Christians were being tempted to turn away from Christ and revert back to their Jewish religion. Why? Well, because the Roman government wasn't friendly to Christians and life became increasingly hard for them. I think we can relate better to these ancient, ancient Christians now that we're feeling much more pressure from our own culture, right? I mean, so much has changed within such a short time span, has it not? Well, when the letter to the Hebrews was written, 
I want you to be aware that Judaism was a legally recognized religion while Christianity was not. And this means that identifying with the more established Jewish faith was going to make it easier for you to advance in society and do well for yourself. It was a safer option. So just like how we as Christians are tempted today, right, due to the cultural pressures we now experience, the Jewish Christians of this text felt the pressure to conform to the world around them, and so they were looking for an easier way through a life of compromise. And in the midst of their struggles, right, this letter was meant to encourage them to remain faithful, right, to not give up in running their race, right, to stay the course, to not abandon ship, or to live with the backbone. And one way this letter does that is by explaining to all believers that, look, whatever hardships we may be experiencing in this life, we need to understand these hardships in relation to our loving Father in heaven and the spiritual family to which we belong. Let me explain it this way. People who enter into the you know, closely tight-knit family called the military, they go through military training fully knowing that the training portion is meant to be hard. They don't struggle with the question, why is military training so hard? I don't understand. I mean, have you ever met someone who came back from boot camp confused over that question? They don't ask such questions because they know that the training is meant to discipline them and shape them to be a certain kind of person in the end. It's the same way with serious athletes. When you join a competitive sports team, you expect practices to be grueling. You expect the practice to produce a lot of sweat and even tears. I mean, no one likes the pain, but they know that pain is part of becoming a better athlete. The Hall of Fame coach, Tom Landry, who helped the Dallas Cowboys win two Super Bowls, once said, the job of the coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to be what they've always wanted to be. In the sports world, everyone knows this to be true. Well, guess what? Our passage today uses the example of this parent and child dynamic to illustrate the same point. Only foolish parents try to remove all forms of hardships from their kids' lives. Wise parents understand the value of hardship, and they use this as a tool to shape the character of their children in the long run. Do you think it's easy to grow up in the Bang family? Look, it's not the hardest thing in the world for sure, but it's not meant to be easy either. Because as parents, Joyce and I, we make sure that our kids are subjected to a certain disciplined regimen that is meant to shape them to be a certain kind of person by the time they leave our home. By the way, when you, when you read the word discipline in our passage today, don't, don't merely think of it as spanking, okay? Uh, it, it doesn't just mean it's this kind of corrective discipline. I mean, that's definitely part of the disciplining process, okay? But discipline is a broader category. 
It's much more than the act of spanking, okay? Discipline includes teaching your kids how to be potty trained by a certain age, for instance, okay? Discipline includes teaching your kids how to pray, how to worship, how to sit patiently through service without being so darn fidgety, okay? Discipline includes learning, learning to clean up after yourselves and diligently doing your chores throughout the week. It means taking care of your own meals when mom and dad aren't there. It means putting in the work needed to do well in school and in whatever sport you choose to do. Look, we don't expect to produce D1 athletes in our home, but we do expect our kids to be committed in honing their craft each year in whatever they choose to do. That's part of their discipline. The other day, our second boy, Caleb, I'm gonna pick on him a little bit today. He mentioned to us that, you know, in this sort of half sort of complaining tone, he mentioned to us that he's the only one in his grade that doesn't have a smartphone, okay? And he's a rising ninth grader, by the way, right? And so we looked at him, of course, and said, and so what? What's your point, you know? (laughs) Our kids know that we do not follow all social norms just because everyone does it. We don't follow, okay? Not necessarily. And by the way, even if he did have a phone, he wouldn't be allowed to download any app he wanted to, okay? Uh, because we, as a family, we, we use internet filters. Okay? We have parent monitoring controls, okay? And you should too, by the way, right? If you have any questions about that stuff, you can email Joyce. Right? She's in charge of that in our family, right? <laughs> Like I said, hey, growing up in the Bang family is not the hardest thing in the world, but there are certain disciplines put in place for good reason, okay? And our kids may still find the discipline unpleasant at times and sometimes even painful perhaps, but they at least understand the purpose behind the discipline, right? Just like those who subject themselves to rigorous physical training, right? And understand the value of it. Our kids understand why we do things the way we do. And this is why our passage tells us that we need to understand, as Christians, we need to understand life's hardships in relation to our loving Father in heaven and the spiritual family to which we belong. Verse 10, for they, the earthly father, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them, best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. And you already know this, right? You've probably heard this multiple times already throughout your life. But isn't it strange, brothers and sisters, that we still tend to question God's love when life gets hard for us? Like, God, if, if you truly love me, why do you allow so much pain in my life is a cry of our hearts often. If God is love, why is there so much suffering around me is often our response. If you're being tempted to ask such questions this morning, you need to begin to see life from God's perspective once again. From his perspective, we are so raw. We are so young. We have so much more room to grow and mature, and so proper discipline is necessary. But I want to be clear here. It's important to know that God disciplines us not as an abusive tyrant 
who intends to harm us, right? But as a loving father, right? That's what the action should be. He disciplines us as a loving father who cares deeply about his children. And to help us better understand how we're to respond to God's loving discipline, the Hebrew writer points out a couple common mistakes we make when receiving God's discipline. Verse 5, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So two things here. Number one, um, we can make light of God's discipline with kind of a whatever attitude, you know, like by kind of shrugging things off, like, I don't care. Life is hard, who cares? Just shrug it off, move on without much thought. This reminded me of uh, when Caleb was a certain age. Caleb's, you know, like, he's kind of well-built, you know, uh, almost as tall as me. Give him about another year, he'll be probably taller than me. Uh, but at, at a certain point, it became pretty difficult to spank him, okay, even myself. But, you know, definitely when Joyce, after, I remember once Joyce spanked him, one time he kind of shrugged off saying, <laughs> when mommy spanks me, it doesn't even hurt anymore, right? It doesn't hurt, you know? It's like this whatever, it doesn't care. Okay, here, you gonna spank him more? Spank him more, right? <laughs> that was his attitude, right? And God here is telling us, not to have that attitude, right? Do not ignore his discipline by brushing it off as something that simply needs to be endured in the moment. You know, when kids actually cry and shed tears over discipline, that's normally a good sign, right? They're not taking discipline lightly. And I'm not saying that we should always respond with tears every time you experience hardship. Of course not. But we shouldn't go through life with a whatever attitude, as if the hardships we're all experiencing right now aren't meant to teach us some valuable faith lessons. C.S. Lewis famously put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pains. Pain is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Sometimes pain is the only way to really get through to us. That's his point. And so a kid who cavalierly shrugs off his parents' discipline really is no different from a grown-up man who covers his ears when God is trying to grab his attention through the megaphone of pain. Brothers, sisters, please understand, we all have our unique hardships, don't we? Please understand, in the midst of your hardships, uh, these, these hardships that you're experiencing, they are hardships that are tailor-made for you by God so that you will learn how to look to the Lord more intently and trust in him more throughout your life. So don't just shrug off God's discipline as if nothing matters. Learn from them. Humble yourself before God as you wrestle through them. Secondly, we can become weary of God's discipline, it says. And oftentimes this is done whenever we fall into the trap of discouragement that often leads to despair and sometimes manifests itself through this sort of self-pitying attitude. I was able to see this a lot while coaching baseball over the past few years. You know, if you're a baseball player, you, just, you can't become overly discouraged because 
you strike out and you fail to reach first base. Because the reality is that you will fail more times, many more times, than you will succeed in baseball. That's the nature of the game. And kids who get discouraged easily are the ones who quit early. They're the ones who can no longer develop and mature as a baseball player, you see. Well, what does that look like for us? Well, when the pressures of life mount and discouragement sets in, we may be tempted to get angry at God and shake our fist at him. Have you ever done that? You know, maybe singlehood has been rough on you lately. You've been doing your best to be faithful to the Lord, but life hasn't been unfolding the way you hoped it would by this point in your life, and you've grown weary, you're tired, you want to give up. Or maybe you're not happy with how your marriage has been going, right? You've been gradually drifting away from your spouse, and you really don't talk to one another, one another anymore, and so you're discouraged, you're worried. Or maybe the past two years have just made you into this angry person because of how, how crazy things have become, and as a result, there's an absence of love, joy, and peace in your heart. Some of you may be tempted to direct your anger not toward God directly, but toward yourself. Right? You wouldn't dare say that you hate God, even though that may be true. Well, you say you hate yourself, and you hate everything around you. You're constantly blaming yourself for every pain and trial you experience. Right? Even in your pain, you're focused so much on yourself that you make everything about you. And you become this self-condemning person in the unhealthiest way possible. It's no wonder you lack joy in your life. You've forgotten that God's discipline doesn't mean that he hates you. It's the opposite often. It means that he loves you, right, as we see in our passage today. The fact that your life is hard means that God is doing something in your life that's redemptive. It's out of love that he brings hardship into our lives. Romans 8 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember who wrote that? Who wrote that? The Apostle Paul, who suffered more than any other apostle, wrote that. The one who suffered the most penned, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, he did not allow discouragement to set in. He did not allow anger to corrupt his heart. But whenever he faced suffering and the hardship, he was reminded of his heavenly Father's love for him. Brothers and sisters, in order to respond well to God's discipline, we need to be aware that God's discipline, yes, it's painful, but it's also purposeful. And we need to learn how to be trained by it without shrugging it off or, or falling into discouragement or despair. Verse 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We need to make sure we're trained by the hardships we encounter. Imagine this with me for a moment. If we had the power to rewrite our own stories, what would our lives look like? 
we would only include those things that are pleasant to us, wouldn't we? I mean, why would we ever include anything painful? If I had the power to rewrite my own story, guess what? My dad would surely be alive still. And there would be no trace of cancer in anyone because I hate what cancer did to my dad. If I had the power, I would just eliminate cancer altogether, just like that. But I wouldn't stop there because I'm selfish, right? If I was writing my own story, I would give myself amazing photographic memory, right? And my IQ would be off the charts because I always hated studying, right? And I'm sorry to say, I would definitely not be doing ministry because why choose a life of pain and misery, right? <laughs> see, you see how my life would be? Uh, you see how it would look like if, I, if it were left to me to, to rewrite my story? I mean, do you, do you find that story attractive or appealing at all? More importantly, though, if I lived out such a story, what do you think I would be at the end of my life? I know what I'd be. I would be this incredibly self-centered, self-absorbed, godless monster. That's what I would be. That's what I'd end up creating, see, if my sole purpose were to live a pain-free life. But thankfully, God's purpose is greater than ours. See, we just want to be happy, but God wants us to be holy. Amen? We want to avoid pain at all costs. But pain is what God uses to train us in godliness. Let me share a story of uh, Pastor Lloyd and his wife, Ida. Okay? Uh, pastor Lloyd, Lloyd Kim is a PCA pastor, and he's currently the coordinator of Mission to the World, MTW, which is the mission agency of our denomination. Uh, but before he took that role, he was a missionary. And uh, I, I attended a conference many years ago and heard him share this testimony. So I'm, I want to uh, share this with you. I think it's helpful to know. But, you know, one year, Lloyd and his wife, Ida, agreed to go on a vision trip to Cambodia, of all places. Right? I mean, if I'm going on a mission trip, I'm probably not going to Cambodia. Okay? But they, cho they chose to go to Cambodia. And, and Lloyd actually wanted to convince his wife through this trip that it would be a good thing for them to move to Cambodia to be missionaries. So it was an important trip for them. Uh, well, the day they landed, the weather was pretty lousy. It was like, I mean, it's muggy there usually to begin with, but it was like super muggy, extra muggy, right? And they came off the plane, and it was basically a sauna, he said. And the kids were like not happy. Their infant was uh, not doing very well. And... Uh, they went to where they were supposed to sleep. It was a, just a rundown concrete building, like no air conditioning. Imagine that. And they were put on one of the top floors, and so it was extra hot and very uncomfortable to sleep. Lloyd and Ida, they slept on a bed, but the two older kids were on the floor, and the baby was in a crib. Now, the baby could not sleep very well, as you can imagine, so she was crying through the night, but her cry intensified and became one of those blood-curdling screams at some point. So it, it awakened Lloyd, but then <clears throat> he saw someone in the dark standing in the room, and he froze, and this, the shadow jumped out the window and went down the steps and escaped. Right? He was, so he was kind of shaken. Uh, thankfully, no one was harmed, but Ida said, Lloyd, where's your wallet? Well, the wallet was gone. And the next morning, a neighbor saw them and said, Someone broke into your building, didn't they? 
right? And he said, yes, why didn't you call someone for help? And he said, we don't do that here. He said, what? Why didn't you call the police? We don't do that here either because oftentimes it's the police who are involved in these break-ins. And he just said, you're lucky that your family is safe, okay? It wasn't that, that no one was harmed. And so hearing this, he's like, this is mind-boggling for him. Like, what, what kind of place is this, right? I mean, they were so angry, they were literally ready to pick up their bags and, and go back home. Uh, they, they reached their breaking point. But they were supposed to visit a museum the next day, which they did, and, and they were learning about the history of Cambodia, right, the Khmer Rouge regime, the Pol Pot, the killing fields, and it was Ida, the wife, who said, Lloyd, this is why the Cambodian people are the way they are. Right? This is why they can't trust anyone. This is why they need the gospel. And you know what? This is why I believe the Lord is calling us to serve here. And when I heard this testimony, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is, this is not humanly possible. I, I would not be able to respond that way, especially with a, an infant to take care of, you know? But if you take a step back, right, and if you say that you believe God's purpose for the hardships that you face in life, like you may not like it, but it becomes possible for you to respond differently to the trials you face, right? Lloyd and Ida realized on that trip that God was calling them to serve in Cambodia, not only so that the Cambodians can hear the gospel, but so that they themselves would be changed in the process. God's purpose was deeper. And I think that's such an important lesson to remember. Brothers and sisters, I, I've been saying this for a while now, but life is only going to get harder for us as long as we're committed to following Christ. Okay? Especially if you're younger and you think life is hard, as you get older, life only gets hard naturally. Naturally, life only gets harder. But with the culture the way it is right now, it's going to get harder for all of us as Christians. And so if your goal is to avoid hardship, you will end up compromising your faith rather quickly. Some have already caved under the cultural pressure of our time, and they have compromised their faith. At best, they have become confused and flaky Christians. Please do not go down that road. Do not choose the easy path. Do not be deceived by the lies of this world. As I close this message, I ask that you endure with me through whatever hardships you may be facing during this season of life. If you need support, we are here to help you. Do not try to walk alone. As, as Pastor Andrew prayed, you know, we're meant to walk together as members of one body, eternally bound together by the blood of Christ. So let's persevere together as we look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. May he who began a good work in each of you carry it on to completion until his return. So let's walk together with hope and that promise. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Father,
Give us grace to endure as your people that we may not give in to the temptation to exchange eternal spiritual blessings for temporary earthly comfort and pleasures. May we look to Jesus, our forerunner and pioneer, and run this race with renewed energy and confidence, knowing that you will complete the work that you've begun in us. The Christian journey is just beginning for some of us. For some, it's been 10 years. For others, a little more than that. But may we not only be a people who are known to have started the journey well, but who have finished well. So give us grace to live faithfully day by day so that we may finish this race well. By faith, we humbly accept the trials and sufferings of this life and resolve to walk in obedience to your will. Change us, Lord, as you discipline us for our joy and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.